Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, good Saturday morning and welcome, welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. I am Rich Orris sitting in the big chair holding down the reins again for Scott Mosby. And, you know, thanks for joining me and thanks in advance for being a part of our show and being a part of the KMOX community. Um, We really love it around here and hopefully it's good, useful and, and great information for you. We've got the next two hours lined up for you to talk about Whatever you have questions on, whatever you have going on around your house, you can give me a call today, 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Some things I thought maybe we could kind of cover and talk about today, um, wood stoves versus traditional fireplaces. Um, How does stack effect change the air movement in your home Um, Of course, banging water pipes, um, household uses for Coca-Cola. You know, Coke isn't just a soft drink anymore, folks. We can do a lot of different things with that product. So, uh, But even though we have all of that and more, we've got so much lined up and going on for you. I do want to remind everybody my main topic every weekend is for you, whatever you have, whatever your topic may be, questions, concerns, anything about your house. One last time, I'm here for you for the next two hours, 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. And, you know, I always like to start off with things going on, what's happening. We had the cold, the snow, the ice. Um, You heard the man just a few moments ago, 60 degrees, maybe 64 on Monday. Boy, I'm is that long overdue again? Um, so it might not last as long as we like, but take advantage of that. You know, get outside, look around, do some things outside to get prepared for spring. You know, be prepared um, and maybe touch up all your equipment and make sure everything's good for when maybe we do get the next snow or anything happening. It doesn't mean. You know, it's getting warm, but we're not out of the woods yet. So prepare your equipment, have it ready to go where it needs to be. If you don't have your ice melts, if you've used them up in the past couple weeks, like I have, kind of go out, restock on that, do that before it hits. You know, think in advance just a little bit on, you know, what you need and line that stuff up. And, and you know, it's good. So if it doesn't happen again, It'll be there. You can store it. It'll be, you know, ready for you next year. No problem whatsoever. Um, so one thing I was kind of thinking about is as it got so cold and and trying to heat my home, you know, and and I'm I was thinking about a friend of mine that actually uses a wood stove for a, a lot of his heat in his home. He has a two-story home. Um, similar to mine, he has a, a you know air force system that works you know the first floor of the basement and then a second one that does the second floor. And when he built his house, you know he put this wood burning stove kind of smack in the middle of the basement, kind of planned it out that way so that he can have that running, have it going. It can burn for so long and basically just produces all this heat. And then he can, 
you know, blow this and control this air running through um, his uh, entire unfinished basement. And what happens is all of the sudden it's, it's all rising. It's, it's helping warm the first floor. So his first floor furnace, they really don't run it a whole, whole lot until it really starts getting cold. And then, you know, another good thing is you get your programmable thermostats and everything, and he can literally just kind of run that second floor one at night to keep a comfortable temperature and and not as much during the day because they're not up there as much and really keep those heating bills down. Now, you know, thinking about how that happens and what he's up against making this run the pros and cons of, of trying to do something like that. There's an absolute lot to think about and a lot to plan for. And so what I think let's do, we got our first caller coming in. Mark is there. So let's get with Mark and then I'll touch back with this and get into some of these items when we are are back after Mark and after the break and everything. So, Hey, Mark, uh, are you with me? What do you got going on? I am. Hey, uh, a little off topic for what you're discussing today, but uh, no problem. I have a question. I have a question about garage door openers. Okay. And and uh, uh, my question is be on the safety eyes. Now the as I understand it, and from what I see on the stuff that I have, the safety eye shoots a pretty much a pencil sized beam from one to the other. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, you can't really see okay. it. So yeah, I can't really see it. No, no. But here's, here's, here's my thought. Those are always to my knowledge placed pretty close to the floor. Correct. And I understand, I understand the need to do that. However, re- recalling a situation that uh, won't get into the long story on it, but uh, we backed the car out and there was a little bit of a question if I was going to close it from the garage door opener or she was going to close it from the thing in the car. Anyway, so the garage door's coming down, okay? Uh-huh. The, gr- the car's backing out. Well, with those eyes so close to the floor, it doesn't know the car is backing out until basically the tires break the beam, as opposed to the back bumper or the back of the trunk breaking the beam. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so so my question is, and I've never seen this, and and I used to get around to a few houses. I used, I mean, anyway, for various reasons. But I've never seen a second set of safety eyes put like at the mid level of the back of the car. You understand what I'm saying? Oh I yeah, know absolutely. Need, I I know you need the low ones for you know, small child, your dog, your whatever. But yeah. it, does anybody make a double set 
you know, where they have, to me, to me, you have a vulnerable area there that's not being uh, protected against. Yeah, no. Um, and, and really, I have never seen a double set and I have never seen them set any higher either. Cause again, yeah, you're looking at like, you know, a small child crawling on their hands and knees or just, you know, little things, pets, things like that. And of course, everything, everything starts kind of from the ground up. So it makes sense to have it low, but yeah, you're right. Right. Until like once your tire goes past it and if you're in a taller vehicle, maybe you're in the center of the car and that beam goes right underneath it. Yeah. It wouldn't know that your car is there. Um, so that's a good question. Um, good thought. I I've never, but I've never seen it at all. And I don't know how, you know, I would, I would have to imagine they would almost probably need a different garage door opener manufactured to accept two of those, you know, in order to have them both work and both hook up to the same garage door opener. But that is a good question um, for, for a, for a professional that installs these things every day. Cause maybe you can put two of them on if you just asked or or knew how to do it. Uh, I've just never experienced it myself. Well, I've thought, I've thought about trying to, you know, myself, I, I installed my last couple door openers myself, but, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't make me an expert on anything, but well, me too. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, if, if, if it was worth a shot, however, I would think that the terminals on the door opener would have to be a second set of terminals but it yeah. to, to be effective I, that you know, would be my okay, guess well, yeah if you wired yeah, them and tanned them it probably wouldn't work okay well um may, may, maybe i'll maybe i'll email some of the door companies and uh, our door manufacturers and and just ask and uh, to me that would be a real selling point but i guess i'm the only person that ever had a problem like that but um it's yeah, it, you know, you, you're not getting everything that comes through that door. So, yeah, okay, no. Well, that's my. Absolutely. Hey, totally agree with you, Mark. I appreciate it. It's a good question. And I would remind anybody else out there, too, you know, if you've dealt with this, if you install garage door openers, if you know of, you know, one that does that or, or something uh, or how to make it work, uh, definitely appreciate any input from all of our people out there in the KMOX community. We got a whole bunch of experts that listen to this stuff too. So feel free to uh, call in and advise us of that. And I think we're going to get into our first break here. So thanks for the call, Mark. And for everybody else, we'll be here. We got a list of calls coming in. If you need anything, 314-436-7900. And we'll get back to everybody right after this. All right, we are back, and Rich Orr is filling in again for Scott Mosby today, and we got a whole list of callers lined up with a lot of great questions and information. Let's get right to Randy. Has some painting questions, I believe. Randy, are you with us? Thanks for calling in. Well, thank you for taking my call. Uh, we have a two-story, 35-year-old house. We moved in about 20 years ago. Had the front... Uh, Formal living room, a two-story, you know, center staircase foyer painted probably 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And we're noticing these black 
spots and streaks and we never use a formal living room we put a christmas tree up in there so really haven't noticed it one corner uh is is really uh, affected by this and we looked it up and it's something called ghosting with your you know in your painting and so the wife looked up all this stuff and she wants to get a thermal imaging contractor come in to see if it's mold or where the leaks are and all that sort of thing. Uh, is there, you know, what's, what's the whole story behind this? Well, so yeah, I can tell you that this does occur a lot of times because of, um, temperature difference, lack of, uh, insulation in areas, air movement. It, It happens a lot, you know, against the outside wall. Or in the corner, like you're saying, in the corners, because a lot of framing members together leaks a lot of temperature, you know, just through them. When you look at wood-built corners in an insulated wall in a thermal imaging gun, they're always going to be colder. So that difference can create condensation. You can get a little bit of, you know, wetness on the insulation or the backside of that drywall in the attic side. Um, one of the solutions to help prevent it from reoccurring again, obviously is to change some of that temperature difference, ventilate better, insulate better, do all of that. But again, um, a lot of that depends on how long you plan on living in the house and, and how often this happens and, you know, how bad it really is. Cause, cause I can tell you, you know, um, mold is not a good thing, but right. we are also around mold every day. So a mm-hmm. small amount, you know, I've had people with like, you know, the, the, the bathroom upstairs leaked on the ceiling and it caused just a stain. You know, should we cut the drywall out to see if there's mold on the backside? Well, if if you stop the leak and, it, and it's not happening anymore, it's going to stop the progression of mold. And if it's a small thing, there's probably not enough back there that's going to really harm anybody or that's going to give, you know, so much that there's going to be health issues and different problems like that from a couple small things like that. So a lot of this ghosting stuff, you just kind of a fresh paint job, bring it back around. You know, it's been doing it for years there's probably not a whole lot back there that's going to be like a giant health risk and all this stuff. Although I am a huge advocate of, you know, checking into things, thermal imaging. I literally just had an, an IR gun at a client's house like a week ago when it was cold, trying to look at the windows and different things and the fireplace to see why this room, you know, gets so cold and everything. So, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt, you know, and maybe the first step I would advise you to take, you know, in looking into it further, instead of like really getting too crazy with it is yes, maybe doing, you know, what they call an energy audit and having an energy audit company come in and, you know, they can look at the whole house, they can use their cameras, they can use a blower door and they create a negative pressure and they can tell you where your house leaks and, how you can make it more energy efficient and and things like that, you know, and give you a good kind of report on 
this is how my house works and functions and how much it leaks and, you know, some items on a list that I can do in order to, you know, make things better. And it might show something there that, you know, of, of how, if, if it's worse, if it's not, you know, if, is there something really bad that, you know, you could help by doing some, something to it, it, it might show that through that energy audit. So I wouldn't, you know, I would say that would might be a good step for you. Um, okay. You know, and a good next step. The only thing I would warn you about with these energy audits, because so Mosby Building Arts, you know, Scott Mosby's company, I'm a senior sales consultant for Scott at Mosby Building Arts. We used to do energy audits and um. they are not profitable. It's hard. It takes a lot of equipment and a lot of expensive equipment and a lot of time to do all this to a home mm-hmm. to figure everything out. So you you try these companies, you know, really, it's kind of like we do with designing. You know, there's an upfront designing fee for professional services, but it's not something that we profit from or it's just kind of covering some of the basis we actually lose money on our designs and most of these companies lose money on their energy audits, but they make it back by performing work for you. So they, they'll, they will be trying to sell you performing a bunch of the work. And I would still recommend, you know, just understanding who they are, watching out for that, making sure they're going to do things right. Because just because they, they have someone really smart, with the energy audits doesn't necessarily mean they have really smart workers that can perform exactly what the energy audit person is saying. And I've seen, I say this because I've seen this scenario go wrong in the past uh-huh. where they did that. They had insulation added, all this stuff. And then I had to come in and correct some of the issues uh-huh. that were from what had happened. So it, yeah. I'm, just kind of the buyer beware thing. There, there's I'm guaranteeing there's a lot of them that can probably do really, really well, and they're very, very smart, and they'll do good work. Don't get me wrong, but there's some that, you know, the work doesn't necessarily match the means of how good that audit is. You might want to shop around or, or talk to other people about the work and the results of the, the energy audit to make sure that you're getting good advice on the work part. Yeah, because it seems as though it's just, uh, like I said, this front formal living room that is rarely used. And yeah. the foyer, it's probably a couple splotches, 10, 15 feet up. Um, and it's really only the front of the house that gets sun in the morning. And then it's, you know, uh, the sun sets in the back of the house. Um and what research we've done is, you know, don't just clean it and paint over it because if it's mold, you know, or if you need more insulation within the walls or something like that, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's hard to do that way and, and put more insulation in your in your attic and all that thing. I mean, you know, we've had ducts cleaned. We've had new windows put in recently. Good. Yeah, um, that's great. You know, it's it's. And I'm just like, well, we've been here 15 years, and it's probably just dirt, you know. And <laughs> yeah, and that's what uh, that's what we find mostly when we get into that and we check into it and stuff. It's generally dirt from 
the the movement of the air and things like that. And there's generally we don't find a lot of of mold and, and huge issues on the drywall or on the backside of the drywall from you know the ghosting effect when we see it. And sometimes oh. candles you know, help create this ghosting effect, but I would think you'd have it elsewhere if you burnt a lot of candles. Well, that's that's one of the things because she's got a candle on a little table thing in this front room, um, and it's like right above there. It's just and, filthy. And, that, and that she burns that candle. Oh, constantly. Oh yeah, you're getting you're getting you know it's it's a combination between this. The soot and the stuff from the candle, and, and the the um, the ghosting effect, and you know the candles helping produce the the dirt and the soot that's making the black. It's getting drawn there by the lack of ventilation and insulation and, and different things like that. So, but hey, great great question, great great thing going on, Randy. I got to get into a break here. I hope that was. Uh, Good for you and would lead you into a good direction. And for everybody else, Ron and Henry, if you can hang on through the break, we'll get to you as soon as we return. All right, here we go. Hey, Rich Orris again here, filling in for Scott Mosby today, taking the reins, getting through everything. And we have a couple people online that have some information for uh, Mark's garage door question with the opener. Let's put Ron on and see uh, see what his suggestion is about the garage door opener. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Just fine. I think it should be fairly simple to have the a second set of eyes, the same kind of control that's on there now, but wired in series with the existing control. And that way, if either one of them is, break, is broken, it'll send the signal back to the operator to stop and reverse. Yeah. But it has to be in series, not in parallel. That's that's what I was wondering, is if they were in, in series, would it break? I guess it would still break the series. So, Right. Um, uh, it, it, whichever one went off, it would probably still break the series. So yeah. it sounds like maybe If it's in parallel, be. then neither one of them will be effective. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense, and that was what I was trying to think of. Like, it, would would it actually function? You know, if if you tried that, um, but yeah, no, totally makes sense. So I think it would be uh, interesting to try see how it works out. So cool, Ron. Thanks. Hey, appreciate the call and the idea. Let's see if uh, Henry over here has any other suggestion, or if maybe his was about the same. Henry, are you there? Oh yeah, I'm here. He's right on the on the series connected. Uh, if, you know, you buy two, uh, another transmit receiver unit, or you can take and mount your transmitter and receiver on the same side. You know, bumper height of a part, and you get two corner reflectors mm-hmm. on the opposite side, and then you get one of these cheap dollar store laser pointers to get it all lined up. You know, and do it in the evening when it's a little dark, where you can see and get your your beam's all lined up, and it should work. You, you know, it, it, if you can find the reflectors, I'm not sure anymore where you'd get them, but I worked in the burglar arm business years ago, and we'd take one uh, infrared beam and just run it all over the warehouse floor with, with reflectors, you know. So, yeah. uh, you know, a garage would be nothing. To, if if it's still available with all the motion detector stuff that got now, I don't know, I'm sure Google would find them for you, though. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And, you know, it sounds like, yeah, getting something like that and running these things in a series probably would work. So I would. Yeah, be, you uh, know, the, if you can get the reflectors, they'd probably be cheaper than buying a whole whole nother transmitter receiver unit. But I don't know anymore. It's been 50 years since I dealt with it stuff. But sure, I sure. try to keep up with it. <laughs> Yeah, no, let me tell you, it is so hard to keep up with everything, you know, being being made, invented, and generated, you know, for for this industry. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, and, and even I've done it myself where I'm like, I've never seen, you know, something like that, you know, out there. And then you start looking, and you find it immediately, and you're like, oh, yeah. They started doing that about a year or two ago, and they do have systems that work. And, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Although I would, you know, we were kind of talking during the break of, you know, when when you're younger, you know, and I wouldn't advise this to a whole lot of people, but I I used to do this myself a lot, you know, getting out of the garage. Of course, you hit the button, you got to run over there, and you got to kind of bend over but step over the beam and get out the garage door before it closed, and that would really – make that tough if you had two of them. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> You're not you going to get to you know. do that anymore. What, what, what you do is you just you, you just take the garage door opener away from your wife and, and let yeah. her back the car out, and then you, and you shut it. <laughs> yeah, though, so there's there's your other theory. Yeah, is make sure you're only functioning one at a time. So, hey, Henry, right. I appreciate it. Thanks Alrighty. for the info and the call in. Always love when you know, uh, what Scott Mosby calls the University of KMOX, when everybody out there helps out, pitches in, and gets some great information for everybody out there and, and really does it. So, you know, and with um, that whole ghosting thing and, you know, burning candles, and it's amazing how how much a, a home works and breathes and there's so much scientific kind of to a home of how it actually functions and how air moves around your house and, and things like that. You know, we always recommend um, a couple things you could do that kind of helps that in your home to kind of minimize like stack effect and, and all these other different things, you know, and I have clients all the time that they think they have a window leak and really, it's just you've got a very kind of cold area at your window. You've got a warmer area outside, you know, in front of the the shades or the blinds. So the hot air is going up, which pulls the cold air down by the window. And then you, you start to feel like you're getting this cold draft from your windows kind of on the back of your neck at the couch or whatever. But it's really not like a draft or a leak. It's more the coldness coming through is moving down and it's just kind of an air movement thing. So you can run your ceiling fans on low, keep air moving Uh, your furnaces. You know, a lot of these newer furnaces, you've got these different stages of the fans and everything. So you can, you know, set that furnace also to run constantly. So it's not going to heat constantly. So when it actually heats, you know, or, or runs air conditioning, it's going to kick up to like the higher speed fan and it's going to blow that in real nice and everything. But when the heat or the air shuts off, it can stage down to a slower fan and run just the fan constantly to move air. And you can kind of help with some of these issues and these things 
you know, going on around the house, having good air, air flow, good air movement and all of that. So we're going to get into our final break of this hour, but Hey, for you guys out there having a great time filling in for Scott, love the conversations, love the information and the questions. Feel free again, give me a shout 314-436-7900 phone lines are wide open and we'll be right back with that after this. All right, here we go. Final segment for this hour. Rich Orris filling in for Scott Mosby today. And I want to, this is a little shorter segment, so I want to get right into Kim here. Kim on the line has some air duct uh, cleaning questions, I think. Kim, are you with us? Yes, I'm still here. I'm here. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I was listening. Actually, it's my first time listening in. So I'm getting um, some really good um, healthcare advice. So I, I appreciate that. I'm going to start listening more often. Oh, awesome! Um, good, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually out here in Ferguson. Um, I'm looking for um, a good air duct cleaning company. I have a two-story home. Um, it's about, I guess, about maybe 80 years old, and I've been here for about maybe 13 years, and I haven't had my air ducts cleaned. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to get it done. So. Oh, okay. um, a good air to cleaning your company. So, uh, so here at Mosby, who we use mm-hmm. the most for doing that, and there's there's a reason, and then there's also kind of because of like what we're usually dealing with when we get into air duct cleaning. But mm-hmm. so so we we get into that the most when we are dealing with homes, kind of like Mark was calling about that has something going on, and maybe we found some mold and things like that. And so okay. we start recommending air duct cleaning with like mold remediation and, and remodeling and finishing things like that up. So okay. we we typically use Wellington Environmental Services to do our air duct cleaning because okay. they also do the mold remediation and all of this other stuff. So to me, the, the kind of the second reason for a company of that caliber is uh-huh. kind of the same reason like with Mosby uh, doing some easier or smaller repairs and stuff. Do you want the best and the smartest people doing what seems like it could be one of the simpler things, but okay. you know it might reassure that it's done really well and really right, right. In, in the best okay. way possible. So... Um, that's who we would go through for that, but there is a okay. lot of air duct cleaning companies out there, you know, that, oh, but, that do it and but, everything. Uh, I've just never worked with any of them. Okay, you said Wellington Environmentalist. Yep. Services. Yes, okay, yep. I'll okay, I'll look I'll look them up. And do you know, like, uh, I guess it's I guess springtime coming up. Do you know if it's best to do it? I guess during the spring. I guess I was I was thinking like maybe in April or so. I mean, I don't know that 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 really really matters. Um, okay. Because you're really you know, your house is closed a lot in the winter and all of that. It's it's right. open a little more in the spring if you if you open windows and and use some natural air and natural temperatures and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So. You know, I, I don't know that it really matters, but it might be better doing it like right before a, a, a time when your house is closed up more to where you're not getting a lot of stuff from outside because a lot of dust comes in from outside, you know. So if yeah, you're going to have your house open, you know, it might be like late fall when you're closing up for winter or 
late spring when you're closing up for summer might be a little bit better time, but I, I would have mm-hmm. to guess it's marginal. Yeah. And, and I don't know because, because you're going to open it up again in the fall if that's the way you do it. And you okay. know, you'll get the stuff reoccurring and that's why they'll probably tell you it's a good idea to have your ducks cleaned every 10 or so years, you know, to yeah, make Yeah. Cause sure. I've been here, like I say, it's been over 10 years and I'm overdue. So I'm thinking that, um, I don't know if it would make a big difference or not if I did like in the spring or the fall, but I will, you know, like call them and ask them. Yeah. That's something that, uh, that's been on my list to do. And I think I'm going to get it done, um, you know, soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, I think it's a great idea. It's definitely a great thing to do. Appreciate the uh, question and the call and for listening in, Kim. That's awesome. Okay. Thank you. I'll definitely listen again. Thank you so much. Very good. Have a great day. You too. And so, you know, that is something that, you know, we talk about all the time. We have, you know, regular maintenance, keeping things, you know, think about health and safety and all these different things for your home, but also too, a a really important thing of just maintenance is so important to the home as far as even people like when you go to sell, like maintenance is a good big step of, you know, people looking over the house, even if it's not quite updated or like really new or has all the new fangled great stuff that we're doing today and remodeling bathrooms and kitchens, but being clean, you know, keeping it maintenance, you know, well-maintained people know that, that, you know, not smelling mustiness in the basement and, you know, just keeping things clean. When you walk up to the front of a house, you know, we talk about how important curb appeal is. Well, you know, having it just power washed and cleaned when people do walk up to look at a house, they're like, oh yeah, you know, they're taking care of their stuff at least. So they know, you know, they're going to have a feeling it's going to be in a better condition than one that's not and, and maybe not as well maintained. So you can actually have that advantage too. So we're going to get into our break here. Um, I'd ask Dennis if he can hang on the line through the break. It'll be a little bit of a long break, but Come start of hour two, we'll get right to him. Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, here we go. Hour two, Rich Orris sitting in the chair, filling in for Scott Mosby today. Got a lot going on. Had some great calls, some great questions, some input from a couple people on the garage door help and the openers love that input for sure. And for everyone else, we got a solid hour lined up here for you hour two. So feel free to give us a call 314-436-7900. Love to help everybody out. And speaking of helping everybody out, we have Dennis on the line has a question for us. Hey, Dennis, are you there? What do you got going on? I am here. I have a, uh, it's, a 50-gallon, I believe, uh, water heater, and it's probably on the order of 10 years old, maybe a little longer, and I'm getting some leaking out of it. Now, that's been going on for a while, so I'm not sure, you know, when I look at the DIY sites, it's like, replace it now, you know, like it's going to... start leaking everywhere, but wanted some guidance on that. And 
for what it's worth, I had to replace prior to this problem uh, the little pressure tank that goes up at the top. Uh-huh. And I didn't adjust the pressure in it and that. I just got it from the hardware store and put it in, and it seemed to work fine. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Um, sure, sure. So so the expansion uh, pressure tank at the top really doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, that's more, it will help relieve excess pressure, um, although it is a great idea to check the pressure in your house, make sure you have a pressure regulator, um, and make sure that the pressure is not too high because that can lead to other things, not just with water heaters, but with all of your appliances and hose lines and washers and faucets. Um, but so on your water heater, um, question for you, is it leaking at the bottom and you're just seeing you know, water running towards the drain? Or is it at the top, like by the connections and the water pipes and stuff? It's more at the bottom and it's not a continuous leak. It, you know, I'll go down there have a freezer down by there and i'll see a little pool so it's not continuously leaking sometimes it appears that the water may have been coming out of the the side pipe that goes along the side of the uh, water heater mm-hmm. and you know i'm not sure if it's hey you got to replace this or you know is there anything uh, is there a clean out that maybe could be cleaned and uh, uh, make it better yeah so so what I would probably recommend first is um, definitely trying to figure out like where that water is coming from because I think if you had a leak at the bottom if you had a small rust spot or something like that or a crack on one of the seams of the welds or things like that that it would probably be more constant, but, you know, looking, examining, and then um, trying to figure out, too, because the other thing that you have is that pressure release valve that that could start leaking. And if you get different times of the, the day or maybe when you're doing something that there's more water pressure at one point than another, that could actually kind of open up and, and let some water out of it. And the, those do go bad too. So you may only need the, your, you know, your pressure release valve changed and a new one put on with the pipe going down towards the floor. And then that would kind of relieve what's going on. If it's an every now and then leak, that's actually coming from that valve. So I definitely recommend, you know, maybe getting a plumber in, to check it out, find out if they think it's that valve or not. Because after, you know, only 10 years, I'd be surprised if it's, you know, a crack or something leaking, you know, from the bottom. More surprised than if it's 15 or 20 or something like that. Um, but if it is something at the bottom with a crack or rust or things like that going on, I would definitely recommend changing that water heater as soon as possible because what will happen is then, then all of a sudden one day it's just going to go. And, and then you're going to be in like an emergency state of like, oh, I have no hot water. I need this fixed now. It could happen on a, you know, Friday night while you're asleep. And then you got two days of, you know, trying to get it figured out or doing it yourself or something like that. So 
sure. you know, definitely hindsight's twenty twenty. Address it, you know, with a little uh, maintenance first and make sure so that you're not putting a bad situation on Thanksgiving, you know, and all <laughs> of a sudden you have no hot water. <laughs> right. Something yeah, like what, that. What is kind of an average or expected lifespan of a water heater? Yeah, and that's that's a that's a great question. I get all the time, and it's kind of a it's kind of a sad response. Um, you know, after years of seeing houses that have thirty five year old water heaters, you know, and changing them out, you know, years ago to these now newer water heaters, that they're basically saying about twelve to fifteen years is the life expectancy on a water heater. So you're really not. You're two thirds the way through your life expectancy, but yet only at ten years. You know, it's I kind of a you. shame. <laughs> they don't make <laughs> them like they it. used to. You know. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's helpful. Appreciate it. Absolutely, no problem, Dennis. Thanks for the call and and great question there. Um, really uh, appreciate that. And um, let's go to uh, Frankie on the line. Has a, a question about the some yard erosion. Frankie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for calling in. Oh, good. Well, I, I, I inherited my parents' house, God bless them, and um, they've owned it uh, for over 40 years. <clears throat> and I'm... Uh, I got uh, I'm like middle on the upper side of the uh, of the subdivision, so I've got two houses that are a little higher than me, and then there's me and my neighbor kind of right in the middle, big flat yard, but it kind of goes down to the left um, to my neighbor's yard. Uh-huh. Their yard is fine, but um, we had an inspector come out <clears throat> because several times this this winter this has never happened before. Water seems to be coming from somewhere when things dry out. And it, it it's shooting into a, a lower neighbor's house and just just uh, just flooding their backyard and up, and up to their deck with all the water from the subdivision, and um, it's actually going from their house down to another lower one. I've just found out. Uh-huh. Um, I've got an inspector from the city here coming out Tuesday, and um, he said it's probably not going to be that bad of, a, of expensive of a fix. But do you have any idea what they might have to do to uh, to stop this? Oh wow, that's yeah, that would definitely take some, you know, examining, looking, possibly you know, shooting grade or, you know, doing some topography, you know, kind of. Um, surveys and stuff to figure out, you know, what are the conditions now? What's changed, you know, to make the water start going there? And then, you know, where is it? Where did it used to go? Where is it supposed to go? And how do you grade the yard to make it do that again? You're probably talking about just a general landscaper type yard grading, you know, maybe even adding some soil a berm or creating, you know, kind of like what we call a swale in the yard that it can be gradual. It kind of goes down and back up, you know, creates kind of like a V shape in the yard that lets the water run through it and go where you need it to go and where it should go. Um, But it's, I'm talking a subtle thing. It's not like they just, you know, cut this out of your yard. It could have been there, you know, 20 years ago and slowly, you know, the ground and the silt, and it just eroded to where it kind of fills that swale up, and then it redirects the water 
you know, somewhere else. So I would guess if it if that didn't used to happen and now it's happening, you'll just be in for a good regrading, you know, of that oh, backyard. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it, yeah. We're gonna find out Tuesday. And just as a side note, uh, my sewer backed up in the basement. Uh-huh. <clears throat> my sewer backed up in the basement. Um, uh, but it was it was you know yucky yucky stuff. Yeah. But um, I had it I had it. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, rooted out or whatever you do, and that has not happened again. I don't know. Would that have something to do with it? Um, probably not. Um, okay. I would. I would guess those are two totally separate because your your sewer should be totally separate from you know the the MSD you know rainwater sewer system, and they really you know shouldn't affect each other. Sometimes they they do in in older neighborhoods and stuff. But, well, good. Well, it hasn't happened again. So I just thought I'd yeah. let you know. Well, thank you for your time, and I, I really appreciate your expertise there. Absolutely. No problem, Frankie. Thank you for, for the question and the thought. And um, we're going to get into our first break of the hour. If Joe can hold the line through the break, we can get to my friend from Kirkwood as soon as we return after these messages. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, we're back. Here we go. Got a lot of calls lined up. Rich Orr is here filling in for Scott Mosby today. And I want to get right to him so we can get everybody in. Let's go to Joe from Kirkwood and see what we have going on. Joe, are you with us? Hey, how are you guys doing today? Very good. How are you, sir? Okay. Hey, I got a question about a water heater, too. Okay. Okay, so first of all, water heaters are supposed to have a flex pipe intake, right? Um, no, they don't have to have a flex, flex I thought that pipe. was a code for, uh, you know, for uh, earthquake. Um, it, so that would definitely depend on where you're at. In, in, in the code there, so it's it would be a good idea for earthquakes to strap them and you know have flex flex pipes so they can can you know move just a little bit. But generally, most I see around St. Louis County are are hard piped with copper. Right. Well, you know we're due for an earthquake anyway. Also, the water heater is is it okay to mount that directly onto the concrete basement floor? Yes. Mine's leaking, at, mine's leaking at the bottom, and I've been told the contact with that, with the concrete on that metal could be rusting. So usually they are sitting up kind of on little, uh, like, feet or whatever, so the bottom is, right. you know, a couple inches off, and there's, you know, three or four kind of feet around that circle that kind of hold the, the, them off. The actual tank is off the concrete. Right, so it really should not be laying flat on that concrete, should it? No, it can because the feet are okay. You know, if if there's the, no feet, there's no feet on mine. Mine's just oh. right on top of it. Okay, so that so, could be causing a problem. Yeah, yeah, it could be. A lot of times they set them up on little blocks or something to kind of hold it up. So it sounds like yours might be a little bit older and just time to, uh, you know, do the maintenance so, and invest in a new one. Yeah, so how come they're wearing out so quick? It's because they're Chinese and Mexico made in junk crap? Yeah, I mean, that's my guess is just like the type of metal um, and, and how they put them together and the parts coming from all over. 
You know, so and best, I'm so sure it's like a car. Cheaper. They get the parts from three different places, you know. So we're making them cheaper in Mexico, but they're only lasting half as long. That exactly. don't make sense to me. Let's make them back in America and make them last twice as long. If we pay twice as much, it's still a break even. Yeah, no, exactly. And then it helps everyone around us. I think it's a great uh, idea. Get on that for me. <laughs> yeah, I will I will get right on that. So <laughs> right. no problem. Make hey Joe, call. appreciate the make call, a, the question. Make a call to Brandon and get it done. Thank you. Yep. I'm on it. Awesome. So, hey, let's go straight to uh, Mike here and see what we got going on. Mike, are you there? I'm here, Rich. Hey, uh, just a follow-up uh, comment before I ask my question, but uh, a couple weeks ago you were talking about uh, water leak, toilet, slow leak, replacing the flap, telling somebody how to do that. Uh-huh. I had an instance where I had a uh, elderly widow whose water bill went out of sight for a couple months and was able to detect it with the help of the water company coming out. They can look at the meter. You can go inside, shut off the main water. They can tell you it's shut off. So that eliminates the leak between the street and the house. And then I turned on, knew everything else was off except the toilets, turned them off, had one toilet that I could hardly hear until I went in. And what it ended up being was the uh, overflow fill line that came from the valve was too long, and it went down inside and actually was siphoning back the entire time water out of the bowl. Oh, yeah. um, All the way back. And that's something that I wasn't aware of, but um, if other people, you know, that are listening have issues like that, make sure that that overflow line doesn't go down too far because it it just siphoned and was using ten to 15,000 gallons uh, a month. And uh, with the water company was able to go back, and they they are able to credit that, and MSD is able to credit that back once you show one month of of low usage. But anyway, just wanted to follow up on that. But my real question uh, is on a shower installation with tile down to the shower basin that about four years ago had a couple put in, and the guy that did it did not – he used grout near the bottom and on the side joints, and it's cracking now, and I realized that should have used a caulk in there, a silicone caulk that they make for this. Yes. If, if that is correct, um, now at the point I'm at now, uh, how e- uh, what do I do to remove, just remove that caulk, uh, and how do I remove it with an oscillating tool or remove it and then put the caulk back in, and that should suffice? So, yeah, so if it's, if it's caulk, you can do it with a flat razor blade. No, it, it's actually grout that's in there that's cracked. It, he pushed the grout all the way around the, the bottom joint instead of uh, using caulk. Gotcha, which gotcha. I, which, so, which I realize you should use the caulk because it's <clears> flexible <throat> and all that. Yeah. So you're you're, yeah, and you want to get all of that grout from that inside corner out so that you're basically going up against either two pieces of tile yeah. or like the shower floor, you know, in in the piece of tile on the wall. So. Yeah, you do need to use something to get that out of there. And I would probably start with just, you know, kind of some really light taps on like a super sharp razor or or chisel, kind of from the top down, just sliding down the tile, just kind of like super, super soft, you know, taps with that because that grout is hard. So a lot of times it'll break out, and then once it starts breaking out, you can come at it kind of sideways too. You know, if that doesn't work, and if it's in there that well, there's a there's a hand tool 
for okay. grout for cleaning out between the tiles, and it's really like a just a rough piece of kind of sandpaper-ish thing. It's, you know, it's real yeah, I, thin. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And yep, you just yep. use that and scrub back and forth, and it'll it'll take that grout and turn it into sand, um, and then you can clean it up, shop back, back it out. it out, yep. yeah, and then... And then do your and they sell they sell I know the tile stores and that sell a special caulk that you know it, it's I guess it's got some silicone in it or I don't know what but yes anyway, and just, they got it to match the grout too yeah, so you correct. can have yep. the the sand in the grout and it'll yep. kind of match the color of that grout and that'll work really well on those inside corners for you but when I do this again in the future and hopefully I don't ever have to rebuild one but maybe my kids will but all the joints on the wall and down to the base, wherever that tile meets something like that, where it's going to uh, have settling or something, you should use the caulk versus the pushing the grout in there, right? Correct. Absolutely. Any, what I would say you call an inside corner yep, is where yep. you want that caulk. You are, you are dead on it, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah, well, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I'd be okay, but uh, yeah, you know, that, that's the way it goes. So thanks for your show. Thanks, Rich. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Mike. And, and you'll be up against it a little bit. It'll, it could get to some hard work to get that grout out of there. But I want to stress to everybody, you know, out there listening, doing this, the importance of, you know, when caulk works really well, it's when you, you leave a space and you can kind of fill that space up with the caulk. So if you have grout there and you try and caulk over it, and you're looking for the caulk to fill like a really tiny, you know, gap between like the grout and the tile and the existing grout, it's really not going to last very long. If you get all that out of there and there's an eighth inch space between the shower base and the tile and you caulk and you fill that space and it, and it really jams, you know, as you tool it with your finger underneath the tile between the shower base and the tile, you get a really long lasting grip effect of that adhesive of that grout and it'll it'll just last so much longer you know caulking it that way than if you try and leave any of that grout there so for everybody else hey we got another half hour of the show feel free to give us a call 314-436-7900 laura if you can hang on to the line we're going to take our middle of the hour break and we'll get to you and everybody else as soon as we're back from that This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, here we go. Back again. Rich Orr is filling in for Scott Mosby today. Love it. Having a great time. Helping everybody out. And speaking of helping everybody out, let's get right to Laura here. She has a question for us. Laura, are you there? What do you got going on? Hi, yes. I live in a, a 1940 home, and my basement is not finished, okay. but there's some, you know, nice nice parts to it, and I'm trying to store um, my big wreath on the outside of my home, and, you know, it's big, so I was looking to hang it up. And I was wondering if I could hang that from my rafters without any uh, concern about the weight. Okay. Um, do you have any concept of how much it weighs? Um, I would say less than 30 pounds. Okay. 
Sure. So, um, so yeah, I would say uh, you're, you're perfectly fine, you know, to hang 30 pounds from, from your rafters um, in that basement. You know, the floor joists, it shouldn't be, you know, too much of a problem. It might be a little bit better, you know, the – to do it a little closer to a wall, you know, towards like well, the definitely. Wall yeah, I'm or doing whatever it. would be helpful. I am doing but, it against that. But even out in the middle, I couldn't imagine you having a problem with, you know, 30 pounds, you know, hanging from so, it. But there is a, it is a good question because there is a, there, there is a load limit, yeah. you know, when they build that there, there's, you know, yeah. so many pounds per square foot. So it's a good thing yeah. to think about. Well, I, so to, to further ask, I have the way I want to hang it is actually perpendicular to the way I would need to hang a hook. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So could I put like a two by four, you know, or screwed to the, you know, across a few rafters and then hang it from the two by four? Yeah. Yeah. No, or, that's, that's a very good idea. If you put a two by four flat, and I would use, mm-hmm. I would recommend screws. They're going to hold on, mm-hmm. you know, better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put a couple mm-hmm. screws and, and span it over two floor joists, put a couple screws in each, and then your hook in the middle, you know, kind of spread mm-hmm. that weight out a little bit too from each of them. Okay. You know, so that'll right. be even better. Okay. Well, then here's my last question. Absolutely. As you know, in those whole, in those basements, when you don't have it finished, and you hang basement up along the foundation edge where the house and the basement start. It starts to crumble, and you get all this really beautiful little grit in things, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's driving me bonkers. And um, in one of my closets, I stapled up a sheet under, you know, to catch it all. Mm-hmm. Well, now that I've you know, kind of made certain areas nicer and nicer, you know, or let's just say more usable for myself. This has become more of a problem. So I was wondering if I don't want to spend any money on a a real ceiling. So try not to laugh, but I've been just looking at it and looking at it. But is there any reason why I can't just staple gun white poster board up to the rafters? To keep it from falling down. So, so this is on top of. Um, so this is kind of like the brick that's on top of the foundation where it's doing this, like yeah, right at the yeah. floor joist level, all along the edge. Yeah, mm-hmm. it all just crumbles down. Yeah, and then it's a mess all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, your your obviously your your true fix is um tuck pointing you know get them in there to really kind of clean that out and get some fresh mortar and stuff over all that so that that will will slow down from happening with newer you know product but um the only really? the, are you saying in between each one of those rafters that have, all that requires is tuck pointing you it's brick back there right it's full masonry well, yeah. so when you look between yeah. the floor joists you're looking at brick you're right yeah so they can mm-hmm. tuck point that those areas it, it gets a little messy because they're kind of you know they'll probably yeah, want to hopefully hand scrape them rather than use a grinder because it'll send dust you know everywhere they everywhere. can kind of hand tool yeah. scrape all the stuff and 
and re-tuck point it and everything. And the only advice I'd give you, you know, with like poster board, something stapled up is again, it's kind of like the weight, you know, how much can you hang from the floor joists, all this stuff that, that would probably work really, really well unless you started to get uh-huh. a whole lot to where the staple couldn't hold the weight and then it all just fell down yeah. at once. Oh, yeah, it's, never, it's later. never been that. Never, yeah, been, it's that never much. been that much. But now you've got me scared. What happens if all that um, masonry falls apart? Is my house going to settle? Um, so, I mean, not really. It's definitely... You know, I would keep an eye on it, and the more it happens and the more that starts missing, it is a good idea to get that filled to keep what's in between there, you know. But those bricks have mortar all the way through. They're they're mm-hmm. four inches thick. There's going to be more brick and block behind that inside the mm-hmm. wall, you know, working mm-hmm. its way up for the plaster on the first floor, you know, inside mm-hmm. and all of that. So... Mm-hmm. You know, not it's not going to destroy the house or settle a bunch of things or, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pay more attention to the outside for tuck pointing yeah. and stuff like that for moisture and, and that deteriorating everything. But, okay. um, but it is good to stop the progression of that at some point. So if you have spots in between those bricks where you're missing a half inch, to three quarters or an inch of mortar from the face mm-hmm. of the brick back into the brick, um, mm-hmm. I, then I would really start to consider get a tuck pointer in there and get that filled and it'll hold the okay. rest in. Yeah. I do have one area that that's that bad. And I think it was from a water leak that I got repaired, but I never thought about it traveling I mean, it went into the basement, but I never thought about it being an issue in there. Yeah, yeah. And this is nothing like the outside, so it's not like it needs to be real pretty, you know? Right, (laughs) right. If if anybody... (laughs) You just need it shoved in the holes. (laughs) Exactly. You just want to make sure you use something that's not going to expand or something like Mm -hmm. that, you know? But if anybody Mm -hmm. was, was... good enough to say, Hey, I can Google, I'll see how to mix up this mortar. And you know, you can put it in there with the cake squeeze, you know, like an icing type deal. Yeah, yeah. You can, you know what I mean? You don't run your hand or a tool over it, flatten it, whatever, you know, it does, it's not like on the outside of the home where you're like, Oh wow. You know, if well, you're... I'm glad you said that because you know, little known fact, I am a cake decorator. Oh, see, there you go. So all you got to do is learn how to mix up, you know, mortar like you do your icing and just squeeze Uh it in there. And they make the things for that and little tools. And it doesn't need to be pretty up in there. You know, it just needs Mm -hmm. to to be solid. So good DIY thing if you're up to it. Yes, I am. I'm a DIYer. (laughs) Hey, Anything awesome. I can save a nickel on so I can retire sooner. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like it because you've come up with some good ideas and some some good thoughts with, you know, how to control the stuff and do all that. So, yeah, call us back and let us know how it goes once you've, once you've got it done. I'll all right, curious. I will, Rich. Hey, absolutely. Okay. I appreciate it, Laura. Have a good day. We're going to get to our last break of the hour. So if anybody has a last minute question out there, you something else you want to, you know, think about or whatever. Hey, I'm here. We'll be here for the last segment 314-436-7900 and we'll get to you right after this.
This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, here we go. Rich Orris here still filling in for Scott Mosby today. And, you know, boy, we had a lot of great conversation, a lot of great questions. I, I do want to touch on, you know, the the whole kind of ghosting thing we were talking about, you know, things that happen to a house, you know, when when air moves, how the whole house kind of functions. And so there's this there's this thing called stack effect that basically happens in a home, you know, when warm air at the highest part of your house, whether it's, you know, one floor, two floors is escaping through the house. So if you have conditioned air escaping from your second floor to your attic, and and I'll tell you, this happens, you know, basically with any type of penetration, whether it's noticeable or inside of a wall. So all of your light fixtures, can lights, ceiling fans, um, attic access. The biggest thing I see all the time is the old whole house, Attic fans, you know, a whole house fan in the hallway of the second floor. Basically, you've got a metal louver, you know, that's that's disconnecting your attic from your second floor. It's your only protection, and air escapes through that so easily. It's a big player in stack effect and in your house leaking and everything. It can also happen inside of walls, electrical wiring coming through the top plate of a wall into the attic or a plumbing stack from the basement all the way through the attic, all the way through the roof. If it isn't sealed at each level and all of that, you can get, you know, air moving and pulling. So as this warm air escapes, you know, think about it. It's kind of like, you know, water running through a drain pipe, you know, it pushes air. So it needs, it has a vent there so that it can pull new air in. So as this air is leaving your house, it needs to get air from somewhere. So it starts creating all these leaks in the lower area of your house, which can play effect of, you know, like this ghosting on the drywall and how well your house is ventilated and works and functions. And so it's pulling air in. And even like, you know, I was talking earlier about my client that I had an infrared gun out. We were looking at her windows and doors and corners of her walls. And why is this room cold in the fireplace? And, and we were talking about an, an entry door where air leaks, you know, around the handle and the deadbolt and the, the seals just not sealed up real well anymore. And, and so she was kind of asking me, well, what if I just put glass in the storm door to kind of stop the air from coming in when the wind is blowing? And I'm, you know, so I went into the whole story of, well, if you have this stack effect happening, what happens is it's pulling air in. So even if you have that storm door, it's going to pull that air around the storm door. It'll still be cold air and it pulls it in. So you're so much better off with like a new door or new weather stripping of, you know, stopping that from happening because your home doesn't always leak when it's windy, you know, that definitely adds to it and it changes the balance of the air in the house and, and all of that. But even when it's not, if you have this stack effect happening, 
then you could have all these leaks going on around and playing into it from that. So when you feel, you know, cold air around an outlet or a light switch on a wall, and and that's basically what's happening is you've got leaks into the wall, and then, you know, it's coming, pulling it from the outside. So in getting into that wall, and then the way through is the cut in the drywall from that outlet or that switch. And that's where sometimes you'll see, you know, moisture start to form around that outlet or switch. And, you know, that was kind of one of the things Randy was worried about is, well, if it's, you know, if this is going on, could there be any mold? Could there be these things happening? Well, yes, there could be for sure. You know, as you get that, you can create condensation and moisture and, and all these things going on. But it is, you know, there's a lot to how to prevent this stuff, how to work it out. You know, so like even even at Randy's house, between the floors, a house wrap behind your siding to stop air infiltration could stop some of that from happening because you, you no longer have that cold air, you know, leaking in as, as much or insulating along that band board better, you know, to really keep the, the cold temperature out, keep the leaks out, you know, from the air leaking in infiltration from the outside with the house wrap, all of that, it can kind of change the conditions of how, all this works. But now the other thing that we've learned over time too, is the more we seal this house, health, safety issues, all these things, the more we have to think about the air quality inside the home, where, where are you getting that air from? Um, we have to think about fans in the house, bath fans, kitchen vent fans, you know, make sure they go to the outside, but you also got to watch, how strong that pulls air, you know, this is something that these energy audits can kind of figure out too. And this is why like the codes that they've changed for like, you know, in, in kitchen exhaust venting, it can only be so powerful. You can't have like this giant, you know, commercial vent that's going to pull so much air out of the house. Cause then all of a sudden now it's like, it's again, it's like that, that whole stack effect. Where does the new air come from? Well, we have to consider that as that's happening. So if you have furnaces or water heaters that are natural draft, getting rid of the gases and everything, it can backdraft that and pull all of that back into the home, toxic poison stuff. It's just you know, there's a lot to think about as we change and redesign and remold and, you know, reconfigure how these houses are done. So newer energy star standards and, and how we recover air. So a lot of houses now we have to put in these new whole home air recovery kits that go by your furnace and everything. And it can pull air from the outside, condition that air. So it's now cost effective to do that. And it's not just getting, you know, cold air from outside in your home with your home leaking. So the more you seal it, the more you have to consider the repercussions of now it's sealed and it's so tight that, you know, going away, taking long vacation, or if you're like a, a snowbird, maybe you're gone for three months at a time. If that house is closed up, and there is no transfer of air and it doesn't leak air. You know, the homes are, the air is a little healthier now because it's recirculating that air. It's recycling it for fresh air. 
And if you tighten it up too much, that's all of a sudden it doesn't get to do that and you have unhealthy air in that home. So, hey, I want to tell you, I had a great time today with everybody. Thanks again for all the calls, the questions, the comments on the stuff. Totally appreciate it. And we will talk to everybody next week. Thanks a lot.